When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are thankful that you have made the effort uh, to be with us today, whether you are live here in the room, watching us live on YouTube, or you are watching uh, or listening uh, to the archive. Uh, there are archives available uh, if you're somebody that's catching it live right now, and this is not always possible for you. Uh, every Wednesday we throw the archive out there, and Adler does a great job of getting that out there pretty quick after the uh, uh, the live option, and then you can see that on the YouTube channel at rickandbubba.com are on uh, the audio part uh, at the Rick and Bubba podcast. If you don't know where those podcast archives are, just search Rick and Bubba on the podcast. You'll see it. Uh, all right, so let's, uh, let's, we're going to jump in today. We're going, if you're, if you're new to the Bible study, uh, I'm Rick Burgess. I'm co-host of the Rick and Bubba show. This is the Rick and Bubba studio that we're doing this uh, Bible study from. Been doing the Bible study here for over seven years. Uh, we've covered a lot of topics, and you can find some of those archives, audio only, at BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, just click on Listen. Or if you'd like to see some of the video options, uh, just stay with the YouTube channel at RickandBubba.com. Click Playlist. You'll see Men's Bible Study. There's all the archives there. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about some things that you can see uh, live also. If you'd like to see either me speaking somewhere or any of the men from TheManChurch.com, TheManChurch.com uh, has a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, we try to give ch- uh, community groups, individual men and churches, uh, everything that they need, resources uh, to reach and disciple men at themanchurch.com. And part of that are services that we go out and do. Uh, I'll, um, uh, well, tonight, let's start with tonight. If you're, if you're listening to this uh, on the day that it was recorded or you're watching it live, uh, it is the 15th of September, and Andy Blanks will be at Landmark Church in Montgomery, Alabama tonight uh, as they will kick off the men's discipleship strategy. It'll start with the service, High Challenge. And then they'll roll into a 40-week uh, curriculum, which is high equipping. Uh, so Andy Blanks tonight, Montgomery, Alabama, uh, and you can go and see him at Landmark Church. I'll be in Fairhope uh, tomorrow night. Uh, they're kicking off the men's disciple. Well, actually, they're already doing the curriculum, uh, but now uh, we'll, we'll do one of the high challenge uh, services at First Baptist Church, Fairhope, Alabama. I'll be speaking there tomorrow night on the 16th. Now on the 19th, Todd Jones. Uh, former relief pitcher with the Detroit Tigers and other Major League Baseball teams, but best known for his time with Detroit. Uh, he'll be sharing his testimony and speaking to the men of Winfield Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama. This is their second man church as they're doing the strategy. That's September the 19th. Now, September 23rd, there are three different options for you to go and hear uh, the various speakers, all man churches in different places. Uh, I'll be speaking at Lakeside Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, on the 23rd for their man church, kicking off their discipleship strategy. Uh, Michael Helms, uh, Helmsy from the Rick and Bubba show will be speaking to the men of First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama. They're actually in year two of the discipleship strategy. And then Rich Wingo uh, will be kicking off the, the men's discipleship strategy at Northside Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. All three of those on September the 23rd. If you'd like to find out if there's a man church near you, it's pretty simple. Just go to themanchurch.com. Uh, and you'll see events, click on that, and then find a man church near you. And you can go there just because you want to, to be part of it. Or maybe you're a church that you'd like to go kind of see how it all works. Uh, you can do that as well. Uh, so let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into our continued walk through 1 Corinthians. Today, if you want to go ahead and get your Bible and get prepared, uh, we'll be at 1 Corinthians. We're going to end chapter 4, starting in verse 14 today. And then we're going to jump right into all of chapter 5. Uh, so let's open up in, with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. What an opportunity for us to open up your word, uh, to just open up your word and, and, and be refined by it. Lord, I know today uh, there, there's the topic that you, that you have not um, you know, been silent about, the, this topic of church discipline today. Uh, I know it's a, a very uncomfortable topic. It's a, uh, it's a topic that is often ignored. Uh, but today, may we understand why you think it's important. And then that's the key. You think it's important. It really is irrelevant what we think about it. Uh, so help us, Lord, to learn this and to assess uh, and apply this to our life today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
So we're, so we're going to start finishing chapter 4. Uh, and, and what Paul's going to do now, he, he's going to talk to the church at Corinth. Now, if you're not really familiar with the background, maybe you're joining us for the first time on this church at, at Corinth. Corinth was um, the Las Vegas of its day. It is a city of sin. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a very, very decadent city. Uh, and, uh, and God has planted a church right there. Uh, this is a church that Paul helped plant. Uh, we know that Apollos uh, has been there. He's been teaching there. Uh, we, we expect that Peter either has been there or will be there. Uh, Paul is has been there. Uh, another nice little behind-the-scenes thing that we learn with the history of the church and the history of these times, this is the city that Paul was in when he wrote uh, the book of Romans. And so this Romans chapter 1 that we all talk about and even look at the society that we live in today Paul is talking about these things because he's seeing them in the city where he is. Now, what's happened now is this church, and we love uh, the analogy from John Phillips. Uh, he said, you know, the church is, is very much like a boat. Uh, it's okay for it to be in water, meaning it's okay for the church to be set up in a city of sin because it is designed to float. But the only thing that starts sinking that ship is when all of a sudden the water starts coming in. And what's happening at Corinth is the sin is now leaving society and creeping into the church. And Paul's going to deal with that very straightforward today with an individual person uh, that is uh, going to make a lot of us uncomfortable, but it's important uh, for us to hear. But he's preparing them now. You know, Paul's a phenomenal teacher. He's been talking about the divisions in the church. He's been talking about how we chase after personalities. And we need to be focused on remembering that the church ultimately should make much of God. It shouldn't make much of Apollos. It shouldn't make much of Paul. It shouldn't make much of, of Peter. It should make much of God. He says, we're just vessels. And I love the analogy last week. And I got a lot of great feedback on that, uh, that Paul uses the analogy. He says, all we are are the, are the, are the slaves underneath the boat rowing. Uh, we're not the captain. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ is the Lord and we're nothing but his servants. And if you think of us of any more than that, then you're in sin. So, so anyway, so then now he shifts in 14 because he's about to prepare them for something very difficult. He's about to get on them. So what he's going to do in verse 14, he's going to shift into a spiritual father because he wants them to know that what he's about to talk about and everything he's talking about, he's talking to them about this because they're his spiritual children and he loves them. Uh, just like you, we, we, uh, if you have children, you know, the things that we're trying to teach our children, even the hard things, hopefully if we're under the authority of God, we're teaching them these things because we love them, not because we're a killjoy or we're, you know, that, that we're, we're trying to be some tyrannical leader in the home. No, we're trying to be a servant leader in the home and try to spiritually lead our family. So listen to Paul as he transitions into the role of a spiritual father. Uh, verses 14 and 15. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. You see how clear he made that? He's saying, this is why I'm writing these things. And, and like I say, it's about to get ugly in five. And he's saying, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. And so, but look at the word he says, but now I am going to admonish you. And, and y'all know that that's not a fun word either. But he says, so as I admonish you, I want you to know that I'm doing this because you are my beloved children. I'm not doing this to win an argument. I'm not doing this to be right. I'm not doing this to bring attention to myself. I'm doing this for no other reason than I love you. And I'm sitting here doing this Bible study, for those of you that can't see me, and I'm sitting here in front of some men that are in the room, and I confess to all of you that are watching or listening, this exact admonishment, this type of admonishment, is a better way to put it, because it wasn't exactly this problem. If, if a man had not done that for me because he loved me, I don't know where I would be today. He, and what he said to me was hard, and it was difficult when he pointed into my life and said, this has got to change. See, you don't, I've said it before, you don't really have friends if the people around you, the only people around you, all they ever do is go along with whatever you want and they never tell you you're wrong. Those are not friends. Uh, they, maybe they're around you because you're the one that keeps buying everything. Uh, maybe, maybe, they're, I, maybe they're around you because you're a partier and you're a lot of fun. Maybe they're around you because you're attractive and they enjoy sinning with you. But if you don't have people around you that, that say, Right now, I'm not doing this to make you feel ashamed or to put you down, but I'm going to tell you right now, because I love you, I want to admonish you and say, hey, Burgess, you're wrong. And then, of course, you support it with Scripture and show that, you know, that. And, and so 
Paul's making it clear that that kind of relationship actually comes from love. And, and by the way, it should always come from love. If it's not, then we need to correct it. Here's 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, he knows they've got other people that lead them, okay? You do not have many fathers. You know, he's saying, now y'all know I'm the one that, that, that planted this church. I'm the one that started teaching you first. And I know many have come after me, and they're wonderful, but I see myself as your spiritual father because we were all in this together to begin with. So I'm coming back to you. because So he didn't take credit for their conversion because that's the role, um, you know, of, of God. But here's what he is saying. But as uh, the role of his, their spiritual father was what? Hey, I, I don't I don't save you. I'm not taking credit for your conversion. But you know what he is taking credit for? And he is going to take. But I am going to help you with your spiritual growth. I am going to do that because that is my role. Uh, I, I can't save you, but I am supposed to disciple you. I am supposed to grow you, and I and I would have to. I want to ask uh, the you know the men in here, uh, the men that may be watching this, and, and women that are watching this. The scriptures clearly tell us because you may not think you know that you're old, but to somebody you are. It's all relative, okay. So what I'm saying is this: we are called by God that the older men and women are supposed to disciple the younger men or women. We're supposed to do that. We're told to do it. So if you're not mentoring someone, you're not discipling someone, you're not part of growing and making disciples, you're not being obedient. And so Paul says, I didn't have anything to do with your conversion. That Jesus did that. But I am responsible for your spiritual growth, and I'm going to help you grow in the faith. This was a church, as I said, that Paul founded in Corinth. And then who came after him? The eloquent Apollos which they all fell in love with because he's a good speaker. And, and Paul loves Apollos, but he had to say, let's stop all this, which one you like better, okay, because of different gift sets. And then uh, Apollos came in, and he followed, and he taught him. He said that, look, I planted, Apollos watered, okay? But he says, and then Peter, Peter we know, which he says many have come. Peter also, we've documented in church history, Peter also ministered uh, to the church at Corinth. But Paul was the one who was their spiritual father. And he's making that clear. These other guys are important, but I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one who started this, so I take responsibility for you. He said, you're not Apollo's responsibility. You're not Peter's responsibility. You're my responsibility. So, And, 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 he, and he credits them, but he's just making that, that clear. So how does he become a spiritual father? Look here at verses 16 and 17. And, buddy, we better write this down. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Now, see, when we first read that, we push back a little bit. Well, that's arrogant. Paul's full of himself. No, he's not, because what, what he is saying, because he's already made this point clear, and we're going to see it again as we continue this letter, when Paul tells them to be imitators of him, what is he doing in his life? Imitating Christ. So if you, and Paul, Paul does clarify that later. Be an imitator of me as long as I am being an imitator of Jesus. So what he's saying is, and this, is there anything better than this leadership? And we've all heard this a thousand times. There's a million quotable statements about it. But what do most people have said? All, even the world says this. The greatest, most effective way to lead is to be consistent and actually live out what you're calling the others to learn. How many of you have not had respect for a leader who told you to do one thing while he did another? We don't, we don't respect those people. We don't, we, we don't respect those people. We love the leader that says, I'll never ask you to do anything that I haven't already done or am going to do. Did, did Jesus ask us to pick up a cross, but he wouldn't pick one up? No. Matter of fact, he even said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here and take the wrath of my Holy Father that really should be on you. But I'm going to go stand in the way of it, and I'm going to take it. By the way, it's going to be so stressful, my capillary is going to burst, and the 100% human side of me is going to be mixing blood with sweat in a garden, and I'm going to even on the human side want to back out on it because it's going to be so severe. And I'm even going to ask my father if there's another way to do it. That's how bad it is. But when he says no, I'm still going to go because I'm also 100% God. And I said I'm here for one thing, fulfill the will of my father. So if he tells us to live out the will of God, he's already showed us that he did too. Okay? And that's what Paul is saying. Be an imitator of me. Watch how I, you know, I used to, I miss so much some of the guys that have been on our show before. A guy that I really love and miss, I miss John Panette. 
John Panette is as funny a guy as I've ever been around. And I, when he passed away, it really was, it broke my heart. But do you remember his bit that he used to talk about as being a guy who struggled with his weight? He, he couldn't believe people know how to order at a restaurant, especially fast food. What would he say? Watch me. This is not complicated. Watch me. And so here, which was a funny bit, but here Paul is saying on something much more serious, watch how I live my life because I've decided that I'm going to live it the way Christ called me to. I'm going to be an example that you can look at. Verse 17, that is why I sent you to Timothy. I know that's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So what he's saying is, why is he sending Timothy, you think, when he's making this topic? Well, Timothy's his mentor. He's discipling Timothy. And Timothy's going to be given the role to be the pastor of Ephesus. And, you know, the last thing Paul does on this earth is write a letter to Timothy saying, here's how you do it. So what he's saying is, I'm going to send Timothy to minister to you as well. And guess who Timothy learned everything from? He learned that from me. So he's going to show y'all how to do things based on the way that I trained him. So let me ask you this, and, and I'll ask myself this. Are there people that we have discipled to the point that they can go out and replicate the same thing as somebody else? And if they do it, did we teach them to do it correctly? <laughs> because what you don't want is to teach somebody the wrong thing, and then they go out and teach everybody the wrong thing. So, But Paul says, I have trained Timothy, I've discipled Timothy, I'm going to send him to remind you guys on the things that I taught you back when we planted this thing, but you need to be imitators and do things the way I said to do them, because why? I had an encounter with Jesus, and uh, Acts chapter 9, Luke documents this. I, hey, Jesus, Jesus came to me, you know, and, and I became an apostle, because you know, that was always controversial. How does he call himself an apostle? He didn't walk with Jesus. Yes, and Paul said, well, no, I had, an, I had a personal encounter, okay? Uh, he, he met me on the road, and he blinded me, and he said, hey, you're mine now. All this, all this zeal that you have to persecute my church. And by the way, remember, Paul was passionately wrong. Just because you're passionate, just because you're emotional, don't mean you're right. And Paul was passionately wrong, and he had tons of zeal, but the zeal was pointed in the wrong direction. He was he thought he should persecute the church, and he was 100% wrong. And so Jesus came and said, no, I am Messiah. I am. Why are you persecuting me? And then Paul immediately, it's a, it's a new game. He gets blinded, and then he is, he, he's, he's there, and what is he told? You now have the Gentiles. So Paul always had to overcome that too because what all of his Jewish friends thought that he was a sellout. Remember back, I, we become fools for, for Christ. Remember that? So they think, what are you doing dealing with the Gentiles? So he's saying, I got the call from God. I got the call directly. I'm credible. I've trained Timothy. I sent you Apollos. He didn't take any credit for Peter, you know, because you, you didn't do that in those times. And remember how smart he was last week. He wasn't critical of Peter or said anything negative about all y'all worshiping Peter. Why? Because he and Peter had had a confrontation and everybody knew about it, about Peter still having a little bigotry toward the Gentiles, and Paul called him out on it. So it's not they're not having any problems. That's all been resolved, but Paul's smart enough not to go there. Okay? So, but he is saying, I have trained Timothy, and Timothy is my mentor, and I'm sending him to you, and he's going to remind y'all how we're supposed to be doing things, which I think that's so cool. So look at this, 18. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Now, think about that. Paul was an example to his family. Mimic me, and, and let me set an example of, 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 of following Christ. If you want to see Paul clarify that, if y'all want to read ahead, make a note to go when we finish today, make a note to go to 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, we're going to do this later. We go to 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 1. You'll see Paul talking about this again. So that's why Paul is saying that he's the correct example. And, and of course, we don't believe that Timothy actually carried this letter. We think Chloe did that. Uh, but Timothy, he didn't carry the letter, but apparently he was going ahead of Paul, and he what he's going to do, prepare the place for Paul. Because Paul says, I am coming to you. You're going to see him get really, really indignant about that in five. And uh, and so he says he's coming, and you know what, what he's talking about? He's saying, some of y'all think I'm not going to come. This is verse 18, but let me assure you I'm coming. Uh, he, he said, Paul was faithful to discipline this family, and some of them said that Paul won't come 
So don't worry about everything he's writing to us because he ain't going to come. And he said, hey, let me tell you some of the arrogant people in there that think they know more than I do. They think I'm not going to keep my word. They're telling you I'm not coming. Look, they become a little fool themselves. Let me assure you I'm on my way. I don't know how many of you have the kind of um, authority figure in your life that if they said they're on the way, you got your act together. Okay? And and I, I can remember, the, I can hear it in my ears right now, the sound of a of a Chevrolet truck with three on the column dropping off that part that Dad never fixed on the driveway and his wheels hitting that gravel, and I could hear it. And if you were not in good standing with Dad, you didn't want to hear that sound, okay, because he's here, and uh, and he's coming to the door. I can still remember the little trophies from my first little baseball trophies. On my dresser, they start shaking when his big old feet started stomping down the hall. And you know what you're saying? We better get ready because he's coming. And, uh, and, and we, we, you didn't want to be found not having your act together. You didn't want to be found doing something he didn't want you to do. And you didn't want to hear the minute he came in the door, your mama telling on you. You didn't want to hear those things. And so he's saying some of them are being arrogant, say that I'm just talking big, that I'm not on my way, but I am. Okay? Some of the, the, the Corinthians talked a big game, but they could not back it up. Uh, and, they, and he's saying their religion is only their words. And he said, I, and Paul was getting ready to say, they may speak and say they're going to do things they never do. Trust me, if I say I'm coming, I'm coming. You can trust that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hold to my word. And so he says this. He says, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, now he did drop that in. He said, now the Lord may stop me, but I'm not going to stop me. If the Lord's will, and I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but I'll find out about their power. We'll we'll see who decides to oppose me. See, He he said, now they're going to talk a big game, but let's see if they stick with all the things they're saying about me when they have to confront me in my face. We got that a lot now, don't we? Boy, people are really big and bold on social media and email and TikTok and whatever other things out there. I mean, you notice people will just get on there. They'll put a video out. They'll, they'll say something. And, and they talk a really big game. But I can I tell you this? And I've been doing something lately, and it's really a lot of fun. It probably doesn't say many great things about me, but it's fun. I, people don't know now that when they try to call, call here anonymously or sometimes they'll email and they don't they forget at the bottom of their email their phone number's actually there I call them and, and can I tell you this if you call a man and he has to actually talk to you the tone changes real quick uh, hello who is this it's Rick Burgess just got your email the tone has already changed Man, we're big. Man, we really start trashing people when we don't have to face them. But when, but see, which is probably why if you got a problem with somebody, you are do what Scripture says, and that's go to them, and you talk to them face to face because you got a whole different tone when you talk face to face. All these regrettable things that you'll say when it all just flies out there. You ever, you ever typed up an angry email you wish you could grab back when you heard, and you're like, well, there it goes. And man, you wish you could reel that baby back in. And, and because you know what? We sit down, we get mad, and there was a time when you had to cool down before you, because it took time to get in front of the person. But see, now I can get on the home keys and I can trash you and never even have to face you. So instead of me having time to cool down and actually look you in the eye, I can say anything I want to. And that's what Paul's saying right here. And he did, they didn't have social media in those days, but you know what they, people still did? They ran their mouth when the person that they're trashing isn't there. And you know what he says? Oh, I'm coming. I promise you I'll be there. And we'll see who they are then if they oppose me to my face. Because remember what he said about Peter. And I'll give Paul credit for this. He documents that he called Peter out. And he said, I did it to his face. I did it in front of everybody else. I had witnesses. I didn't, I didn't pull back when I thought that Peter was out of line. I loved him enough to call him out, but I didn't write some letter to somebody or say something about him somewhere else. I went to him and said, you're wrong. And you know what Peter did? He said, you're right. I am wrong. I'm sure it was very uncomfortable. But he didn't do it anonymously or he didn't do it from far away. Does that make sense? 
So, uh, so anyway, uh, Paul's really calling these people out. And then he says in 21, he says this, um, so what do you wish, question mark, shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You ever had that happen before? I remember talking to one of my kids one time. I said, look, this can go one or two ways. And I said, and here's the one that's right. Let's do what I told you to do, and let's do it the way I said to do it. And then everything tonight's going to go well. But if you oppose me and you decide to do to not do what I said, then I got to tell you, it's going to be bad. I'm going to discipline you, and your whole night's going to change. So you choose. This is what Paul's doing. And sometimes they ch- chose wisely, and sometimes they didn't. But what he's saying is, my tone when I get there has a lot to do with how you choose to act toward it. Are you ready to receive this criticism, which he's about to get to in five? Or are you going to pose me? He said, because I'll bring whichever i got to bring. I'll bring a rod if I have to. That's righteous anger, because he knows that the, the Lord and Savior that he loved, when he saw righteous anger and, and he, he used anger correctly, Paul says, I'm under the authority of Christ. Anger's an option. You ever heard anybody say that? And you say, well, well, if you choose to follow Jesus or do what Jesus would do, turning over a table is an option. But we got to do it correctly. We got to, if we get upset, it has to be righteous and we have to be upset, which is what he's about to be upset about, by the way, in chapter five. You know what he's upset about? You're blaspheming the church. And boy, a lot of churches today need to hear this. There's churches today that act like chapter five of first Corinthians is not in the Bible. And you know why? Because it's hard. I've heard somebody say this that I have great respect for. We're now moving into next. He, Paul, these last lines, he's preparing this church for what's next. The next two chapters, five and six, are going to be about church discipline. And I, I heard a man that I respect very much say the following thing. Anybody that is in leadership in a church that enjoys church discipline is a sicko. It's hard. It hurts. But it must be done. Why? For the purity of the church. And that's the part we miss. We get, he's going to talk about this clearly. We get so consumed with how it affects human beings that we ignore how it's affecting the purity of the church. And we're going to get some real clear distinctions here from Paul on how the church is to act when judging the behavior of a person. And he's extremely clear about it. And why God says do it this way. God says to do it this way. Okay? So, how that you know the problem with the church, and I understand it's difficult, and it's hard. But the problem with the church that says it's so hard, I'm not willing to do it. Well, then what's the next thing? It's going to be hard. Advancing the gospel is that going to be too hard? Going into the third world countries, going into persecuted countries, is that going to be too hard too? You know, just because God calls us to something, you say when He calls me to something, I'm going to do it exactly the way He said, as long as it's not hard. No. But it's still good to acknowledge that it's hard because that probably means you're a decent human being. You don't really take any great joy in having to remove somebody from the church. We don't look forward to that, and we certainly don't need to be doing it so because we don't like them anyway. That can't be the motivation. Paul's going to tell us what the motivation should be, but let me say this loud and clear. It must be done. It must be done. Why? Well, Well, we'll jump in. So let's talk about sin inside the church. This is not sin outside the church. That's a different thing. Lost people are always going to act like lost people. Why was I an idiot when I was outside the church? Because I was outside the church. I was under my own authority. I was living a life of continuous perpetual sin. My life really was quite consistent. Okay? But he said when people get inside the church and make a declaration of redeemed, I'm redeemed I'm under the authority of Jesus, and I am part of his holy universal church. I'm I'm one of his. And then that person begins to live in unrepented sin. That's the key, unrepented sin. Jesus told us this. Paul is confirming this. It's like a cancer. It becomes a cancer inside the purity of the church. When Open sin goes unchecked by those who are members of the church who claim to be redeemed, and they won't repent. And here it comes, and this is what he's about to talk about. Do you all know how you remove cancer sometimes? With drastic surgery. Drastic. 
So here we go. He, he, he said, this is, this is not easy. It isn't popular. But I want everybody to write this down. But it's necessary. But it's necessary. It's like you, look, can I tell you all this? Does anybody, having someone who, who had five children, did, am I the only one that found parenting to be very difficult? I mean, if you do parenting the way you're supposed to do it, it's extremely hard. Have you ever been sitting there watching a ball game, finally getting some relaxation, having, having it say, I really need this moment of peace, and the word starts breaking out that one of your kids is acting like an idiot? Am I the only one that there's a times that I've said, oh, gosh, I just think I'm going to sit here, maybe it'll work out. It would be easier for me just to sit here, and maybe it'll all be okay. But the difficult thing is to get up, turn the game off, go find the kid, and discipline them, and shut it down. That ruined your day. It took the fun zone out of the house. You're missing the game or whatever you were watching. You didn't get to do what you wanted to do, and the kid's now crying. And now mama may have got upset because the kid was disrespectful to her. The whole house is upside down, but you're doing what you're supposed to do. And it was not fun and it was not easy, but it was necessary. And if you don't do it, you'll wish you did. And this is what Paul's talking about. We have a man. And by the way, this man he's talking about, we get to the second letter of Corinthians. We may do that next. I'm not sure. Here's the bad news. This dude we're about to talk about, he never repented. Paul comes back in the second letter and says, he didn't come around. So don't assume that all these things have happy endings. You know? So here comes Paul. Let's start in verse 1. Verse 1 and 2. You know, the first thing he says, why are we not mourning over this sin? Why is this not bothering us? It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has taken his father's wife. Now, this is ugly. The church had become arrogant. Uh, they, they thought they were so open-minded. Does this sound familiar about the modern-day church, by the way? We're so open-minded. We, 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 we don't want to be mean, Rick, about this. We're, you know, who, who are we to judge? The open-minded and, and Paul is about to set them straight because he said, you've become so open-minded and puffed up, you are now letting an unrepented fornicator walk around claiming to be in, a member of the church, and we think maybe was even in leadership in the church, and you have him in good standing? He says this sin was actually a form of incest, because what had happened, this guy was taking and sleeping with and having sex with his stepmom. It was his father's wife. Okay, maybe his mother had died or whatever the case is. It would be like your daddy marrying a woman and you, his son, went and started having sex with her. That's what he's doing. Okay, and even, this is the thing that was so, the, 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 this is the point that Paul's making. He says, we assume, and, and this is commentary here, and then I'll get to the point that Paul's making. We assume that the man was a member of the church, but the woman wasn't, because there's no mention of her. There's no call to discipline her. So she's never really made a claim. We think the, the, foreign, the, the fact that Paul never talks about her, we think that she was not claiming to be a member of the church. This, this was somebody he was going off to see after he left the church. But he was coming back in, strutting around the church, and everybody knew what he was doing. So... This type of relationship was condemned, if you want to write this down, Leviticus 18.6, and we don't have time to go read that today, and Leviticus 20, verse 11. And here's the part that Paul's making. Do you know where else it was forbidden? In all the Gentile nations. He said the pagans don't even do this. They don't even let this go. They won't allow this kind of relationship. And he said, and you're letting this go. And, look at, look at, and listen to this. This is the part we can't miss in two. And you are arrogant, talking to the church. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. When's the last time you heard this taught in church? So don't miss what Paul's saying. This is crucial. Paul is saying, you think you're being so gracious. 
You think you're being so accommodating. You think you're being so kind. You think you're being so loving. But no, you're too arrogant to realize that you're blaspheming God's church. That should mean more to you than everybody considering you to be open-minded and gentle and loving. There's nothing loving about letting a man commit this kind of sexual sin as a member of the church and remain in the church and walk around and never be confronted about this. You think this is so wonderful because you're arrogant. You should be mourning the level of this sin. It ought to break your heart that this man has so arrogantly and deliberately blasphemed the very church that he claims to be a member of, and you're not doing anything about it, and he ought to be removed. This is the beginning of the way church is done. Anybody remember Acts chapter 5? Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah, we gave all the money to the church from that land we sowed. Did you now? Yep, that's what we did. We know you didn't do that. Dead. Oh, and you and you, you brought your wife in on this too, didn't you? She's three hours behind me. Of course, she's late. But anyway, so so she shows up three hours later. Did you and your husband concoct this scheme against the Holy Spirit to come here and lie to us? You claim you gave all the money from the land sale that we didn't require you to do, by the way. You're only doing this because Barnabas did it, and we made a fuss about that, and you want to get the same accolades that Barnabas got without the same sacrifice. So you're pretending to be more sacrificial than you really are. You going to stay with this story? Yes, dead. You think, you know what it says in Acts 5? And a great fear came upon the church. I bet. I bet it did. You think people didn't start tithing on gross, not net, right then? I bet it was a game changer. Okay? Well, here is Paul saying, I know the standard that is laid out of the church for church discipline, and y'all have abandoned it. And you think that's so cool. Man, I see churches do this all the time. This is, this is alive and well in the Western church. This arrogance of being so open-minded. We are so open-minded. We just let this go on. We let people get on Facebook and, and blaspheme God's standard for marriage. We don't do anything about it. We don't do anything about it. We let all this... It's, look, this is not about, and Paul's going to clarify this. This is not about outside the church. This is about what's going on within the membership of the church. Verse 3. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And I love this. He said, as if I am present. And let me tell you something. Where I am, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the same and I mean, assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Please don't let this get by. This is so, so important. If you want to see how church discipline should be done, the steps of it, go to Matthew 18, write this down, 15 through 20. I'll paraphrase. In Matthew 18, 15 through 20, here's what Jesus said. You got somebody in open sin in the church, somebody who knows them, go to them privately. And if they repent, that's the end of it. Okay? If they don't repent, and that's the key, now take some people with you from the church. If they repent then, it's over. Put them back under the authority of the church, begin to continue to disciple them, help them get back on their feet, help them get repaired. They've acknowledged that they're in sin. But if they don't repent then, and this is where Paul is with this guy, you take it before the assembly. You take it before the church and you throw them out. Why do we throw them out? Because it might save their life. Two things. For the purity of the church, which Paul's about to cover, and because if you let them suffer the consequences of the defiant, unrepented sin, and we turn them over to Satan and let Satan have his way with him, meaning what? This is important. You know why? Because aren't you saying, well, can't Satan get him now anyway? Not to the degree he can if you kick him out of the protection of the church. There's certain boundaries around him because of the church. Take him out of that protection and you throw him to Satan and when Satan's done with him, he may repent. 
And then on the day of the Lord, which is all that really matters, he may still be redeemed. Maybe this will bring him to redemption. See, a lot of times, we, you ever withhold consequences from your children of their bad decisions? How'd that work out for you? Eventually, it's the consequences that you just set them straight. Now, it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. You ever had to throw anybody out, drug addicts, drunks, whatever, and finally you said, we've tried and we've tried and we've tried. Maybe if we let you finally hit rock bottom, you might repent and stop all this. That's hard to do. But it's the right thing to do. After you've exhausted other things, that's why in Matthew 18 it says, try these three steps. But, if you, but it's almost like the church, a lot of times the church never even takes the first step. They just kind of hope it'll be okay. Maybe it'll all work out. You know this guy's blaspheming God's standard on, on social media. Well, I'm sure it'll be okay. It, it'll be fine. Let's don't do that. Make everybody uncomfortable. But you're making God uncomfortable. It, you're making God uncomfortable. This is messy, Rick. You don't want to get in this messy. I'll tell you what's messy is having a church that's got open sin, unrepented sin, walking around in it. How about God's hand being removed from the congregation? How's that feel? So you, if you don't think that's true, look at what he says next. You're boasting, which means they're bragging about how open-minded they're being with this guy. Churches today bragging about taking God's standard for marriage and just tossing it aside. Bragging about here, we don't adhere to that standard. We just let people walk around and they can do whatever they want to do. You know, uh, love is love. Uh, let, hey, they can even enter into marriage right here in this very church and be members. That's perfectly fine. You know why? We boast of how open-minded we are. We boast about it. We're so accepting. Look, if a sinner walks through the door and, is, and w- w- wants to come in and says, hey, I'm seeking to try to change, or I just want to come here and see what y'all are doing, of course we let them in. Hey, you are more than welcome. Come sit by me. Okay? If you want me to go pray with the doctor, I'll go with you. That's not what Paul's talking about. All of us were lost at some point we entered into, entered into the church. And that's where the sin- sinners are to go. But he's saying... This guy claims to be redeemed, and he's sleeping with his stepmom, and he won't acknowledge it's sin. Y'all are not asking him to repent. He's walking around inside the church claiming to be redeemed and not doing anything wrong, and that's got to be dealt with. And you're boasting. And he said, that's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? See, it is. Now, what does he mean by that? Anybody understand that analogy? If you've ever cooked, you, you do. He says that it that, that it's clear that this had been some sort of a public sin, that this guy was walking around, everybody knew about it. it might, you know what he says? Now, this is the part the church really is uncomfortable with, but it's out of Scripture. He said if it's public sin, it ought to be dealt with publicly. If this, if this person is doing this and everybody knows it and it's out in the open, you better... See, a pastor should, should get up and say, look, I've talked to so-and-so. I see the stuff they're putting all over social media. I see the things that they're condoning. I see the things they're letting go. And I've talked to them, and they won't do it. So I want y'all to, I want to clarify to all of you that I totally reject what this member of our church is doing in their lives. This is sin. It is not Scripture. We do not condone it here at the church. What they're saying online about God's standard is incorrect. It's sinful. We do not agree with it, and we have removed them from the church. Then the rest of the assembly goes, whew, that clears that up. And then people who don't like it, you can go with them. Because we're going we're gonna to protect the purity of God's church and God's assembly, and we will remove all who won't repent and claim to be redeemed but are living in open sin. So the, this, this is what he's talking about. He says, that this must be dealt with publicly, and he and he, he said because this was obviously something that uh, that is known in the church, and these are very strong words by Paul. By the way, anybody think Paul's beating around the bush about this? <laughs> and, and the church was to gather and to expel this offender, and and apparently Paul's so angry they didn't do that, and they know that's what they're supposed to do. Church membership, and this is something that we got to get back to. And there's some churches that are doing it, and I and I and man, I, I think it's great. We've made it too easy to be a member of the church. We don't ask anything from you. We, you don't have to give a testimony. You don't, you don't have to you don't have to do anything. Uh, you don't have to tell us. 
You just If you'll come forward and turn around and say you want to join. Now, a lot of churches are changing that. Praise God. You're now having to go through a process. When I was growing up, you just go forward. Somebody pray with you. They turn around and ask the church to accept you that day. Anybody know anything about this person, why we shouldn't let them be in the church? No. All right, you're in. And that was, that was, that was, that was terrible. So when, when Paul's talking about delivering him over, he's saying membership in God's church is a very serious thing. That means you have made a contract with God that you live under his authority. And if you do make a mistake and you do find yourself in sin, you repent of it and you acknowledge it, but you don't blaspheme his church. And when he says, he, went, he says, well, let's deliver him over. We're not saying that this man's going to be deprived of salvation. Uh, the church doesn't give or take away anybody's salvation. Paul wanted him to be removed from the protection of the fellowship of the church to make him fair game for the enemy, hoping that this would bring him to repentance. And see, when he, then when he gets in verse 6, in some of the things he talks about the boasting and through 13, Passover required what? Why is he using this analogy about the, the leaven? Leaven's yeast, by the way. Passover was no yeast, no leaven could be found anywhere in the dwelling. All yeast was to be removed. And the analogy there is what does is, what is, what is, uh, yeast cause bread to do or whatever it's in? Puff up. All arrogance is removed, okay? Just like leaven, just a tiny bit, Paul says, will cause whatever is in it to puff up. It, it affects the whole loaf of bread. He says sin may seem like a small thing, but when it becomes powerful and it puffs up, like this arrogant guy was doing, the sinning, unrepented church member is like leaven, leaven, and he will or she will defile the entire loaf of bread. The church must purge old leaven from the church, because why? What does the old leaven represent? The old life. And he says, if this, if this person's returned to sin openly, defiantly, and unrepentant, it must go because it's going to affect this entire church. Because, you know, what else do you, what else do you run into? What about the next time? What, what does great leadership always require? Consistency. Hey, uh, hey, so-and-so, I understand that uh, you did. Well, hey, so what? Ain't nothing compared to what a what's name. He's sleeping with a stepmom. What are you going to do with this guy now? You got nowhere to go. Well, I might have done that, and I, I understand that I'm still doing that, but I'm not sleeping with my stepmom. You see how that goes? What are you going to do now? Then people start taking sin. I remember somebody saying, you know, church discipline's hard, Rick. Where would you begin? I, and, and a friend of mine, I asked him that. You know what the friend said? Well, I guess I would, have been, uh, would begin with the most heinous and work my way back from there. That's what Paul's talking about. You can't let this go. He said, the, the pagans don't even do this. And he said, because this is the key. When we claim to be redeemed, what does Scripture say we're doing? We are done with our former life. And when this kind of garbage is allowed in the church, this is somebody grabbing their past life that's supposed to be redeemed and dead and running around in the church holding it up saying, no, nah, it's still here. I've returned to my old self. And I openly am going to be my old self in here where really only new self should be. The church must always be, according to Scripture, as pure as possible. He goes on. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, the old life, but with the unleavened bread of what? Sincerity and truth. This guy has no sincerity of his faith, and he's not telling, he's not living out the truth. He, he only knew unleavened bread can be here. Look at nine. Now, here's the part people really get upset about. I'm sorry. I've, I had to do this in my own family. And it just got, and it makes people very uncomfortable. But I can't apologize for what God made sure was in His Word about His church. I can't apologize for that. Take it up with Him. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all. Meaning the sexual immoral of this. He said. I, he said. He said not at all. Meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers, idolaters, since then you would need to get out of the world. He said, I'm not talking about, sorry, Adam, I'm standing up because I'm getting fired up, but, but we got to get this right. I'm not saying 
when you leave this church, don't associate with sinners. That's not what I'm saying, because you can't even go out if we're going to say that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you don't associate with the sexually immoral inside this church. Don't have anything to do with them. And he clarifies this. Listen. 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone, and this is the key, who bears the name of brother, meaning do not associate with those who claim that they are co-heirs with Christ, your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, if those people are unrepentant and sexually immoral are living in any sin that is unrepentant, that is deliberate and perpetual, throw them out of this church, pray for their repentance, but don't you go and have anything to do with them until they repent. Does that make you uncomfortable? It's scripture. If he is guilty of the sexual immorality, or he said, or greed, or is an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, a swindler, don't even eat with such a person. He's pretty serious about this, not associating with those that claim to be members of the church that live in open sin. So how do we apply that to our lives? Here's how we apply it. If someone makes no claim of redemption, man, spend all the time you want with them. Now, you don't become like them, but you spend time with them. You minister to them. You try to reach them. You be kind to them. You work with them. You try to earn the right. You you, you bring them into your home. You go and talk with them. But if they claim to be redeemed and are blaspheming God, you don't have anything to do with those people. I did a message one time. The guy sent me an email this week said that God used that message to change his life. You know what the name of the message was? Don't associate with such people. He said, once I actually started following that, my life became much more healthy, spiritual. See, you, we think that God's doing this because he's, he's got some ax to grind. Do you all realize the reason why he's saying this is because that's the best way to do it? He wouldn't be saying it for any other reason. He's perfect. But why do we think we know how to do it better than he does? Well, that's a little extreme because it's right. You realize if if God Almighty says through his spirit to the Apostle Paul, if you have people in the church body that are walking around and living out perpetual unrepented sin and you think you're being so open-minded by allowing this to go on, you're wrong. If you think you're being so open-minded open-minded by chasing after them and hanging out with them and still spending time with them and you haven't removed them from your friend group, you're wrong. If you are continuing to let this person not suffer from being excommunicated from the church, then you're wrong to do so. Because you might be making them happy, but you're sinning against me. You know what we're doing? We're picking human beings over God even if it's your own family. Who told us about it could be even our own family? Oh, my goodness, that's Jesus. And Luke chapter 12 and Luke chapter 14. You want to hear this? I mean, you can, you can, you can apply this certainly to just friends and, and associates, but it might come down to it to, to be family. Here's, here's Jesus, the, the, the hippie. No, Jesus is not a hippie. Well, Jesus never said, Rick, that today sounded a little harsh. Jesus was never harsh. He wasn't. Uh, here's Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would, and I wish that it was already kindled. That doesn't sound very hippie-like, does it? He wishes he had already refined the world by fire. He's tired of waiting on it. And the only reason why he's waiting on it is because he's gracious. But he really wishes that was already over, and all the those that opposed him were already gone, and he already had only those that were committed to him. He wishes he was already in the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, but he realizes I got got to get to the cross and I got to redeem. I'm, I'm going to do the will of my Father. But listen, what he says next: I have a baptiz- I have a baptism to be baptized with. That's him going to the cross. And how great is my distress until it's accomplished? I wish this was already over with. Okay, then what he says next: Do not think that I've come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, I'm here to give division. For from now on meaning the church age, from now on, because he's going to be exclusive, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the, no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, it's about to get ugly because I'm about to be real exclusive. And a lot of people ain't going to like it. 
And here's what he says. From now on, in one house, there'll be five divided against three, two uh, against two, two against three. They'll be divided. Father will be divided against his son. Son will be against his father. Mother against her daughter. Daughter uh, against daughter. Daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Hey, I'm quite divisive. Then he goes over in, in the cost of discipleship, chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and oh, don't miss that line. Because we think in the church, the bigger the crowd, the more we should become seeker-friendly. Let's get even more people here. Well, that's okay if they're being drawn to the actual preaching of the Word of God. But if they're being drawn to some sort of seeker-friendly uh, uh, air biscuit, nothing sandwich, TED Talk, motivational speech, live, some life lessons. So every time that Jesus' crowd got bigger, you know what he did? He made the message harder. He never accommodated the crowd. He never says, man, there's a hundred and some people behind me. I bet I could get 300 by not saying what, what my father told me to. Maybe I should make this a little more palatable. I'll get even more. No, every time he had great crowds, he actually said things that ran people off every time. Listen to this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. That'll thin the crowd out. Hey, I got news for you. If there's anything more important to me in your life, including your own family, you need to go. You better be, you better be sold out to be my follow, follower, even if it costs you your family. And you know what? If you put Jesus before your family, you actually probably finally, for the first time, love them. They don't want to be your idol. It's too much pressure. You'll never love them correctly if you put them before me. But if they oppose me, are you willing to pick me over them? Difficult decision. Hope you don't get put in it. But you know what? When you find yourself in that position, if you've read the Bible... It may be difficult to do, but you already know what to do. You already know what to do. So then Paul comes back and he clarifies this in verse 12. And this is, but, the, but it's twofold. We always just read the first part. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? See there, Rick, the Bible says that Paul shouldn't judge. No, Paul said, I don't judge outsiders. I, I, I can't redeem anybody that doesn't know Jesus yet. God's their judge. But here's the part that's always left out. Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? Look at 13. God judges those on the outside. And here it comes. But you purge the evil person from among you. God takes care of those that never claim redemption. That's that's not our game. We're trying to reach those people. We're trying to present the gospel to those people. He is their judge. But once you enter into the church of God, then your brothers and sisters are commanded to judge you. And if they see that you are unrepentant and you're living out publicly in the assembly blasphemy to God, Your brothers and sisters inside the church are supposed to deal with you. And I have seen in just about the majority of churches that I see, they rarely do it. They run from it. But the problem is, did this seem difficult? It's difficult to implement, but was this difficult to understand today? I don't think Paul was gray at all, do y'all? But we don't do it. And it's not something that we should look forward to doing. Church discipline is not easy and it's not popular, but it's crucial. Not only to the purity of the church. Listen to this. This is the part we always leave out. If you really love somebody. Yes, it's part of the purity of the church. There's no doubt. But it is also to convict and restore the person in sin. It's for their own good. 
I mean, can you really feel good about the fact that you know someone is living out something that is blasphemy to God and you just keep them inside the church assembly? Can you hate them anymore? Are you just hoping it'll all work out? You would rather have good standing and, and, be, and not be at odds with them as long as that can be accommodated, even if it costs them their eternity? i got to tell you something. That, that sounds like it's more about you than it is about them. You seem too arrogant and too concerned with your own discomfort that you're not willing to do what God told us to do. And he'll enable us to do it correctly. Just follow his instructions. Matthew 18 tells you the steps. It's not fun. It's not popular. It shouldn't even be something that you look forward to. But apparently, according to Scripture, it is absolutely necessary. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this difficult but uh, but straightforward message today. And I pray that... Uh, that this is something that it, that uncomfortably is restored in the church because it's so necessary. The church needs to be purged. And, Lord, I pray that we find ourselves on the same page when it comes to you because we are in agreement that your word says what it says. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be the people that only you can and even be obedient to you in things that are difficult. And if you're here today and you are that person, Someone's catching this, knowing that you're living out perpetual, deliberate sin, claiming to be part of the assembly and the congregation and the church. Maybe you could do us all a favor and repent of this sin without us having to take this step. We assess ourselves, and we make sure that we're not blaspheming the church. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.